0: Welcome to the Onassis Air Conversations. My name is Myrtoka I'm a curator and cultural worker based in Athens and your host in this series of recorded encounters with the participants of Onassis Air. Founded on the principles of learning and doing with others, Onassis Air is an international research residency program in Athens initiated by the Onassis Foundation in 2019. They say that what happens in one place stays in that place. I cannot find a better way to describe all the things that have been happening inside the Onassis Air House since I first entered as a participant of the Critical Practices Programme in Fall 2019. The truth is, it is not easy to transmit an open-ended process of relationing, which is very personal and relevant to a specific place and moment in time. How can I then give you a glimpse into that process? Everything starts with a conversation. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with the unnecessary participants to shed light on their artistic practices and needs, as well as to reflect on ways of being and working together. In this conversation, I have the great pleasure to talk with Marina Miliou Thoharaki, Marina is a performer, writer and curator based in Athens. Together, we participated in the Critical Practice Programme of Onassis Air in Fall 2019. In her work, Marina explores the relation between voice and gender and the ever-changing role-play between subject and object. During her residency, she looked into the politics of hosting through a performance that took the form of a lap dance and was finally presented in the exhibition It Moves and It Shouts at Haus Aten in December 2019. Today, we discuss about her experience at Onassis Air, her interest into voice and its historicity, and we have also invited the curator Panos Yannikopoulos to talk together about the piece that she created for the show.
1: Very nice to see you.
2: <laughs> Very nice to see you too. Um, I'm very, very happy to have this conversation with you. Uh, and I must say that this is a very special moment for me because we spent together three full time months exchanging practices and concerns, learning and reflecting on ourselves together with others. So, thank you for that. And um, let's uh, start from the beginning. And um, I'd like to to start from uh, the very first week of of our program and particularly from your Curated Day. Ah, amazing. Okay, great. So, Curated Day was a format that uh, we used to introduce our practices to each other. And on that day, you invited us to your house, To a performative presentation, part of which took place on your bed. (laughs) (laughs) That was a very intimate moment, I have to say. (laughs) It was the beginning of all. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But through this presentation, I, I could actually really see how the body, the language, and the voice, are central elements in your artistic practice. And um, as you've stated before, you use your body and your voice to explore the layered historicity of your voice. Can you tell us a bit more about your practice and how did you start engaging with these questions?
1: Totally, totally. Um, Great. So uh, uh, in regards to this day, um I was thinking of instead of, because I also took, we went outside for a walk around the city. And then in order to also show you the more uh, personal side of me, and uh, that also connects to my practice. I, I thought about, in addition to the outside, bringing you also inside in, um, in a tour of my house. So, and in a tour of my house that happened in a very intimate way, because, um, as you remember, we had, um, the audience, let's say, would come in the house one by one. And, uh, we had the audience member had to wear, uh, earplugs that was connected to my phone. And through an application, the sound of my voice, um, basically, uh, It could cut, it could catch every uh, saliva moving, every time I would um, swallow, every time that, you know. So I kind of really liked the idea of um, the embodiment of the voice and actually not only what it said, but also what is produced in the body when something is said. So I was thinking, how can I bring you even closer to just talking to you and touring you inside my house is also making you hear my insides also speaking. Um, And uh, it was very amazing because everyone was willing to go through that experience. And uh, I took you around the uh, different rooms. It's not that big of a house, but... Around the different rooms, and I had uh, a poem or an excerpt of reading for it's it's one of their rooms, and it was kind of like a more um, a storytelling, a narration to see my spaces from uh, through my eyes, through the readings that inform my practice, through the poems that I connect with and embody, and. Uh, through the sound of the, of, the, of the liquids of my body as well, of my mouth, let's say, not other. Um, so I think it was, it was uh, an attempt to create intimacy and uh, to kind of open up to the idea of the collective through the processes that I use, which is, and the methodologies that I use, which is the voice. And as you said, I am... I'm very curious about the voice as a choreographic tool, as another limb, as a a gesture that historically has been creating a lot of uh, uh, ethical and political dynamics between genders, um, between people, between gaps of communication, um, a lot of... Uh, most of history has been written from certain voices, and a lot of other voices have been uh, left aside. And uh, I'm curious about this repression of the voice, also theoretically, but also uh, practically, because there's a lot of uh, critiques on, for example, female philosophers' voices, uh, the actual texture of the voice, the actual um, you know, uh, the actual uh, sound of it uh, instead of the work of these philosophers. So it has been a tool of repression. And um, I, li- I I use that research and that information and through embodying uh, these, I kind of abstracted and used my voice in, in different kind of ways, uh, choreographing it and uh, playing with this... Um, with this expectation, this anticipation, desire, discuss um, the fear that one is experiencing when a voice is very loud. Uh, uh, this 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 role playing between uh, eroticism and um, distance that a voice can create.
2: Voice is quite unique, and also the way that we speak in different languages unique. So while you were talking, I was thinking um, that the pieces, uh, your pieces, the ones that I have seen are uh, in English. Mm-hmm. And um, I have, I think I've asked you this question before um, about the use of English um, as
1: a language in your pieces instead of Greek, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's really, the answer is really uh, just practical, to be honest. It's not, uh, it has not really been a choice. Like I've shown, the work that I've shown has been mainly in places where um, English is the prevalent uh, language of communication, let's say. Um, So, for example, on NASIS Air, because of the international culture that exists, the research also kind of... uh, kind of emerged in English language. I've also, personally, because I lived so many years in the States, in Chicago, uh, and I left when I was, like, um, 18 from Greece. So all of the academic language um, that I have uh, developed my work upon and my research has been mainly in English. So it's actually a lack of experience. It's not a choice or a preference. and. Um, it it the poetic cuz i also write a lot so the first language that comes in mind when it comes to more uh, poetic language is english only because it comes out of uh, more naturally in the academic and in my own practice you know um
2: yeah i understand and uh, i would actually be also very interested to see a piece of yours in greek and see how um what kind of
1: different voices appear within the Greek language? I'm very curious, and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it, actually. But going back to the
2: research, what was the initial research question that you came with uh, when
1: the program started? It actually was the, the beginning of kind of the throat lap dance, which is the piece that I developed through the residency. And uh, it was... Uh, it was what kind of exchanges take place uh, in a performance where the questions of subjectivity and objectivity exist and how can I play with these? Which I know they're really large words, but how can I really uh, diffuse them into the material that I want to use and really play, create a role-playing between these two? In a, taking them from a much... Uh, Macro and larger um, situations that I and the research that I'm interested in, political situations, and creating a performance around that um, and also it was also the reason why I did critical practices and the reason why I applied was because I also needed a break um, a break from my uh, Uh, I'm educated as a choreographer, as a performer and a performer theorist. And uh, I'm kind of in between my whole life. I've been working in cultural institutions, in production and curatorial teams, and also doing my practice in the side. And uh, I needed uh, a break in my city with other people in order to kind of reestablish, redefine my own work. After all of these curatorial experiences that I've been through. So, you know, having this double life kind of takes away a lot of your energy. And it's very unique to have the time to really, the time and the space and the collective to really develop uh, your own voice again. Um, So that was also very important for me. Was it actually a break for you? Oh my god the the break eh, of the of the residency like um you know in many ways over, although it was very overpopulated with people with events with situations with occurrences uh, trips um i think it was really a, a break because it was a flex in time it was like Uh, time uh, paused. Um, We are used to live, uh, at least in a city like Athens, we are used to live in a rhythm of production, of uh, production, uh, monetary production for our survival, uh, creative production for our practice, um, to to be on the move all the time. And taking this decision to really focus on uh, my own practice under the umbrella of our collective Whatever was happening in the collective, it was it was still a break because it was all the moments were so special between us, between the people who came, between uh, um, our trips uh, Indonesia. Um, all the moments, the cooking, the the moments that we spend individually in our room, the open salons. There were a lot, but it was really uh, it was. Uh, such a, it was a focus group at the same time. And we coexisted. We were co-inhabitants of a space all together. And the fact that it was this collective experience, um, which is out of the ordinary. in, uh, I haven't experienced this before in such a, a multitude of ways. It was really a break. Because it was a break in my city, where normally I wouldn't allow myself to do that. And um, I would find the time to concentrate. I would find the time to create and to research. But also I would give the time to myself to spend quality moments with people that I care about. And to. so it was a vulnerable and a, a really healing experience in a way for me. So it was, I think. Okay. Yeah. I think it was also for me for uh, quite the
2: similar reasons that you talked about. And this whole idea of of spending so much time together actually uh, created these conditions for uh, breaking out uh, from the ordinary. Yeah. Um, So looking back after six months, and from all this full program of activities, workshops, seminars, is there a particular moment that has
1: stayed with you until now? There's two moments that I really... They're, they're very different from each other. One of the moments was uh, with uh, at Irene, Irene Tomazin's workshop. Uh, I felt uh, I truly enjoyed it. and. Um, Because also it was right up my alley the the usage of the voice that she proposed. It opened up a lot of ideas and also how the voice can be a very sensitive medium for people to use and how it can be it can feel one can feel really exposed when using the voice as a practice. I was definitely feeling exposed yes. during this workshop. Yes, I remember after. Now that I'm saying, I'm, I'm remembering it. Uh, but it also brought us together. It was also one more experience that we were doing all together. And then other conversations came about, you know? Like, why are we feeling exposed? And uh, what is hidden somatically inside of us um, in regards to the voice? And what keeps... Us back from expressing it. Um, yeah.
2: As far as I remember, you do voice training yeah. for your own practice. So, what did, um, what did Irena's workshop bring uh,
1: more for you? She reminded me of the physicality of the voice and how it's completely interconnected to physical movement and how one uh, helps the other develop, which I I also have some dance training and I use uh, various choreographic techniques in my work, but it, that, uh, my work is more of performance and less than dance in a traditional kind of way. Um, so it alarmed me in that way, that how can I also use these uh, physical techniques that, I'm, that I embody um, and not only the voice? Because the voice lessons that I do for the past uh, three years now, two and a half years is more you know actual how to train to use your voice without hurting your uh, your cords and uh, which is great because it has given me a lot of power on my chest and the, and the throat but uh, it's very different it was very different. Also another moment that I could say that I will never forget it was in Indonesia that we were in the Bodobodur. Uh, Buddhist temple, where we had woken up extremely early, early in the morning, like three o'clock or something, <laughs> and uh, we took the bus to go to the pa- to the Buddhist complex, and we were so exhausted, and we were we were so. Um, you know, we, we felt raw, and oh, but open at the same time, and we were kind of pushing each other to walk towards the Buddhist complex, and the minute we just sat there, it was, it was so magical, because it, we saw the sunset, the sunrise, the sunrise, it was so magical, because it was like a sublime togetherness that we were all experiencing, after a lot of exhaustion, and a lot of Emotional turmoil, and uh, you know all these exchanges that we've been through, and it's just, it just—it was like a time stopped there, and we're all here collectively experiencing this. Everything else is in our body accumulated, and we're letting it go. And I don't know. For me, it was the moment where I was kind of, i was—I felt really empowered from the togetherness that we were all feeling at that moment.
2: I was actually about to ask you a question about Indonesia, uh, which uh, relates a lot to the answer that you gave. And uh, the, whole, the whole intensive month, which was designed by Rayet Yassin, was based on the notion of the soft shell craft, mm. uh, which was uh, a way uh, to expose ourselves through our senses. Mm. And I wanted to ask you, because we talk, we've been talking a lot about the body, how did this whole trip affect your
1: senses? I think I think it was unlearning in the most honest definition of the term uh, because we, we each other experienced the place in a collective way, but also in very individual ways. We learned about each other, all of our perspectives and sides. Um, we were in a place that... Uh, we didn't. We didn't really know uh, culturally, and uh, we had to. Ex- we experienced it in uh, in very unknown ways. Like we didn't know what the next day will bring, and uh, this, but at the same time, we had this safety of uh, of um, the collective. And um, I think. It, I think at the end of the trip, I felt really open and uh, like an open wound so if I could describe in terms of the senses and then because we because it was so uh uh, emotionally and spiritually overwhelming in very good ways eh? sublime ways but also in raw ways which is um so I think it was I felt very open like a wound and then gradually when I came back I processed all that information and it was the most uh, beautiful, uh, healing and closing, all of, closing this wound with all of you in there. That's the best way I can describe it. You know? That's amazing. I think that trip was uh, like the peak of our exhaustion.
2: Yeah. <laughs> with the th- three flights uh, to change and uh, so many hours of traveling. And then we came back and somehow... The, the space became really ours and we just started uh, enjoying the space and the rooms in a, more, in a different way, for
3: sure.
1: Yeah, I totally agree.
2: Let's go back to the throat lap dance because we have uh, a guest today with us, uh, which is a person that you've collaborated with and he can uh, um, tell us a bit more about this piece. I remember the first day that you presented this piece to us <laughs> and it was very intimidating. It was during Manolis tipos feedback workshop mm. and uh, you chose to actually present the, the performance and we formed a circle, you, uh, you sat on the table, you had your papers, everything fine and then you started doing this very weird thing with your voice that I had never experienced before. And it put me in a really awkward position. Mm. Um, But uh, awkward in an interesting way, I mean, in a meaningful way, because I was considering um, the act of gazing, the um, intimacy of of the person who was sitting in front of you, but uh, also the way that the person was exposed by all of us looking at him. Uh, so, this piece is a part of a larger series of works uh, that you call the Lap Dance Buffet. And uh, I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more about the idea of the lap dance, um, your role in this piece and the, um, the ways that you, um, you will continue developing more of these pieces.
1: Yes, sure. The The whole idea actually came to mind after... So before Onassis Air, I was uh, a dance web scholar at Impulse Dance uh, Vienna, which is a festival of dance in Vienna. And um, I had a workshop there um, where um, we actually did uh, lap, uh, lap dance and private dance techniques. And... Um, this kind of, uh, this was the with Danny Brown. And this, this kind of made me question, like, uh, what is a lap dance? And what kind of exchanges does a lap dance entail? Is it only erotic or can it be an exchange, any exchange between people, between two people, the one facing the other? And I was also curious about uh, the idea of hosting and the role of the host and the receiver. Uh, And this goes back again to the subject and the object and how these roles can be exchanged during a performance. And um, I wanted to kind of uh, play with uh, desire, eroticism, um, the voice, of course, uh, and also what happens when there's no climax in this anticipation. What happens if desire and eroticism is not as expected in a traditionally form of a lap dance? And the woman or the female identifying person doesn't um, give to the receiver what they're expecting. Um, so I was like, how can I create a lap uh, so the umbrella is as you said is the lap dance buffet is the is the series where uh i create different lap dances based on the medium used so a lap dance could be as i did uh, with the throat lap dance through the throat and the voice and the idea of narration or it could be through sound um, with a performer playing different sounds to create different expectations towards the receiver and creating different kind of um, desires and playing with kind of... It can have many different titles. And uh, So this is the first piece that I developed from the series. And I was thinking all of these things, and um, I wanted to embed, to embed the narration and uh, inspired by various um, feminist manifestos or texts written by um, female-identifying people's experiences... I kind of, without being didactic, I I created a text that was quite abstracted, but it had hints of of the topic that I'm interested in. And I I, I saw it like a um, 24-hour bar where the client or the receiver could come in voluntarily and sit on the chair across of me. And then I perform, I host this lap dance for them. And then the next one could come and sit on the, on the chair across. Scenographically, it was more of an, a combination of an institutional space. Like it had a, an institutional chair and a table in combination with some fetish elements, like a black, black uh, plastic um, uh, kind of uh, floor cover and uh, the... Um, and the table was a little was quite sexy i think and um so it was this play between um the traditional and the non-traditional the it was an alteration in things and um yeah and it 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 was quite it was and yeah the the, the awkward thing that you're talking about is this technique that i've been training in which is called the uh, throat singing you know it's it's some kind of throat singing it's not literally throat singing because it has a throat singing has a huge uh, culture behind it that I, that I don't embody but i'm inspired by it anyways and uh i kind of managed to contain the voice in my chest while my the mouth and my uh facial features actually move so it's a very I can totally understand. It's a very strange experience to the viewer, and especially when you do it, you're doing it privately, let's say, to one person who's expecting some kind of. He they have different uh, expectations of the idea of a lap dance, let's say. I think it's uh,
2: time to invite uh, in uh, Panos Yannikopoulos, who is a curator based in Athens and uh, who was also the curator of the exhibition It Moves and It Sounds, which took place at Housen Aten in Athens last December. And Marina was one of the participating artists where she actually presented the Throp lap dance. So, Panos, hi. Hello.
3: Thank you so much for inviting me.
2: Thank you for, uh, for coming and uh, for being with us. Um, I was actually, uh, we were actually talking with Marina about the rock lap dance, and uh, I would like you to describe your uh, experience, also looking back to the exhibition, about uh, your experience with the lap dance and how your collaboration started. Why did you choose this particular piece, and which was actually still in progress when you chose to, uh, to present it in the exhibition?
3: Yes, uh, I was uh, familiar with Marina's work before our collaboration. I had the chance to meet her when she came back from Chicago and we had brief conversations about corporeality, performativity and the voice. Uh, We were also, uh, but the, the first time that I actually had the chance to see her work live was the open salon organized by Onassis Air. Uh, I thought the way she created these sensorial experiences using sound, spoken word, light, and even smells was brilliant. We we managed to have a conversation on her work in progress, uh, the lap dance buffet. And uh, as we were speaking, it just triggered so many things that I was already thinking of concerning the group. So I was organizing at house and at the end. Uh, At once, uh, I thought it's it's a match. (laughs) I was uh, kind of in love with the way she was articulating her thoughts, whilst her work was playfully dismantling language. Like, uh, the meaning was not only in the words anymore, but in what came between them, the silences, and the pulling apart, the restructuring with the sound, along with the movement and the gaze. So, uh, I decided I wanted to collaborate with her, and, I, I included her in the show. Uh, in my mind, she was already there. It was also uh, funny because when I when I visited the space, the unnecessary uh, building, I saw the, a book there. Uh, the I think it was um, um, Muñoz's Jose Esteban Muñoz's book. So I was also reading it, uh, rereading it, uh, and uh, so we, we had the same references, and I think we we able to go further, deeper in these references together. And uh, um, so, uh, the, the show I was working on uh, was about uh, empathizing, becoming hybrid, dancing bodies, dancing minds toward a, a political body, uh, and wanted to investigate new ways to perceive the world, uh, contextualizing knowledge as a situated experience. Uh, uh, but also playing with these uh, um, experiences uh, and um, and navigating uh, in this world through desire and pleasure. Myron's um, uh, work was also in this at the same direction. We had the same questions about uh, also about our position in this narrative we were trying to create.
1: But the timing was perfect because we were both researching similar, uh, similar, um, similar perspectives. I mean, even the title of the show, uh, it moves and it's, and it sounds. It's totally, it could be the title of, of my piece, you know? So we, it, it was, it happened extremely smooth. I think the
2: dialogue uh, is really important in, in this, uh, especially when you, uh, there's a work in progress and the curator is there to, to have this exchange with you. That's, that's so important.
1: Yeah, and, and he also came in the, in the studio, in the, in the Onassis Air studio, a couple of times, and we basically exchanged ideas and references and. Uh, it was a, a really nice collaboration because it was like we were both co-creating something.
3: Yeah, and also the, the exhibition uh, evolved with uh, Marinus' uh, ideas. Like uh, I also changed my perspective on uh, so many things that it uh, helped me to uh, even rethink the, the space and the connection with the, uh, with the works.
1: Yeah, what was funny about the exhibition is that... Um, then it was so many people in the opening so the performance had also another element to deal with it's like how that is the voice and the performance heard when there's so many people uh which was a challenge but it also uh was a you know an interesting challenge for me how to deal with it in the moment and then pano suggested to me that we do it again so we do, did it again uh, and again <laughs> So I ended up doing it like three times, I think, Um, which was, and all the three times there were, again, many people, but uh, enough to just fit the space and only focused on my performance. So the space also was empty. The uh, the rest of the space, let's say, was empty, which had an incredible echo. And uh, so it was like three different performances, let's say, in terms of how the environment was around it.
2: Well, thank you both so much. I have one last question for you, Marina. After all these uh, experiences and all these uh, things that we discussed today, have you defined what is a collective?
1: What is a collective? The collective takes in consideration. Um, sharing responsibilities, offering care, respecting differences and loving to coexist individually under a collective umbrella. So it is this, it is this sense of uh, coexisting and respecting each other at the same time, each other's individuality at the same time, I think. And uh, this is what we felt definitely in Onassis Air. Like we shared our energies constantly with each other uh, while being present and absent from each other.
0: Thank you for listening. If you want to listen to more conversations, please subscribe to our channel. You can find more about the Onassis Air residency program and each participant at www.onassis.org. This series is produced by Onassis Air. Thanks to Nikos Koljas, the sound designer of the series, and to Nikos Liberis for providing the original music intro theme.